Well, it's a very real question. Where would you spend eternity, huh? It needs to be posed, doesn't it? It needs to be answered. But not the idea of, do you believe in heaven or hell? Anybody can believe in something or not. But where are you headed to next? Today, I want to look at three teachings on the afterlife that come from the New Testament. You've seen them outlined in your bulletin. These are teachings of Jesus So we'll want to listen very carefully, right? This whole series is about the Christian faith, the basics of faith. And I will preface this message by saying this is not an exhaustive um, teaching on heaven and hell, okay? Um, If you want that, we can go to Bible class, we can go to one of the universities, or we can spend a 12-week series, I suppose. There's a lot there. We're condensing it down to just looking at these three sections, And some observations on those things and how they might motivate us to guide others and ourselves towards that eternity with God. You see, we really want to look and pay attention to Jesus' words carefully, right? Because Christianity revolves around following Christ, accepting his gift of salvation. And uh, there's no surprise that last week we looked at God's word. Because you can't put your faith... If you can't put your faith in God or his word, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to look to the Bible for answers about heaven and hell, eternity, or anything for that matter if you don't put your faith in God and God's word. So we started, of course, that plan, looked at that plan of salvation a few weeks back. Then we looked at salvation from what? Or are we being saved for or towards something? Well, I hope the answer to those questions is answer those questions this morning as we start looking rather than looking at uh, reward. I do want to start with the idea of punishment. Uh, the, the the book of Revelation has lots of imagery there. OK, I think we could agree with that. There's some very clear distinctions uh, that Revelation makes about hell itself. And, it come, and this verse that I'm going to read to you right now, it comes from Revelation 21.8. And it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Again, that's uh, Revelation 21.8 ESV. I, we listen to that passage, right? And you might hear somebody on the street corner with a blowhorn shouting that out, right? And sometimes the Bible just comes out and says something and we're like, wait, what did you just say, Bible? I mean, seriously, that just sounds a little too harsh. I mean, some of those things, that makes sense to me, right? But I kind of fit into some of those categories sometimes. I might be cowardly and a liar sometimes, but I'm not all that bad that I deserve that punishment. Are you kidding me? Well, can't we truly convince, we can truly convince ourselves of anything we want. Can't we? The color of this carpet is purple. If I say it enough, maybe tannish gray will turn to purple. I don't know. But we can really convince ourselves and fool ourselves into believing things that aren't true. Um, Let's see what Christ had to say about this topic. It's a very important one. The following three teachings, again, informed Christian thought on the afterlife. And it did stand on the framework that was established of Jewish thought of the afterlife. And then it goes a little bit further, pulling back the curtain. So these three passages are the rich man and Lazarus, 
the goats and the sheep, and the narrow door. And we're going to look at the rich man and Lazarus first. Again, Luke 16, starting at verse 19. And, uh, yeah, there we go. And I'll read that now. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and his angels carried him and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, or in your Bible, it might say Hades, by the way. We'll talk about that here in a moment. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool, and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides this, all this, between us, there's you, uh, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rise from the dead, rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a few observations on this story. A lot of times we'll connect the dots at the very end of Jesus kind of foretelling um, what people won't accept him, even though he did raise from the dead. But let's focus on the imagery that Jesus plays out in this teaching. Now, we've got the rich man and the Lazarus. And in any good story, you always want to introduce your main characters. How else are you going to have the audience connect with them, right? And so we learn right away that you've got this rich man. We don't, he doesn't get a name. We just get descriptions and things that he has. And then we hear this name, Lazarus. And, uh, and it kind of sounds like if you ever remember that old TV show, The Odd Couple. No, they didn't live in the same residence, but they were kind of living near each other, and they were kind of an odd couple there. But you've got these two guys, and it's established who our main characters are. But then we have heaven, and heaven is a place of reward and comfort. Heaven is a place of reward and comfort in this story. Um, it's, it's at Abraham's side. I want to ask one of my daughters. I didn't do this earlier, but I don't think they have a problem with it. Would either one of you come up here? I'm not going to make you do anything but stand by me. Would you come here real quick? First one to come here. Both of you can come here if you want. All right. They were sad. We told them we were doing a skit. They're like, I don't want to be in a skit. We're like, well, you have to actually 
Um, you actually have to follow through on, on doing a skit with us before we trust you. So I, I'm picturing this as I'm, as I'm working through this message. Abraham's side, and some Bible translations would go as far as to say Abraham's bosom, okay? I don't know about you, but there's nothing warmer than a good hug, right? Can you stand up for a moment just for me? When you're really having a rough day, this all get here. And rough day, you're going to squeeze orchard real tight, real close to you, real close to you. I picture this is what Abraham is doing with Lazarus. He's comforting him. Okay? Right like that. Thank you, girls. That's all I needed. Thank you. Let's give him a round applause. He's holding and comforting them. This is the wordage that we've got here. Now, maybe that seems awkward to you, this patriarch of history, but it's this, this imagery of comfort that you don't get anywhere else. Now, the flip side here, the image that we get here is Hades or hell uh, is a place of torment. Hades is a place of torment. You see, this story was written and recorded in the New Testament. And when it was written down, guess what words they used? They used Greek words. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. So it makes perfect sense that they would translate, they would use this word when writing it. Luke would use the word Hades. That was the understanding of this place of the dead in their current context. Now, the Old Testament has a word for that. We've got examples. I'm going to, list, I'm going to read them for you here in a moment. But their word for place of the dead is Sheol. Um, and there's a whole other structure that we could talk about on a different day that they had. Psalm 9:17 says this, The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget, all the nations that forgot, get God. And then uh, Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, so that's that place, that Sheol, that's what's referencing there, sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So you've got these two, this dichotomy of places, but then there's also this, this place of the dead, the Sheol, and, uh, and that's what Daniel's talking about here. But what in essence is hell? What is it? What is Hades? It is eternal separation from God. I mean, what's more torturous than not being with the one who loves you most. It's an interesting thing. We would think of family members or relatives or spouses that have gone on before us and the idea of being separated from them uh, in the afterlife would make us sad. But your love for them and their love for you does not compare to God's love for you. I know that might be a hard concept to think, but it's true. Imagine spending all eternity with no other option but to be eternally separated from that love, the love of God. Those in the Old Testament era may not have gotten a clear picture of this, but it also helps me to realize that all I know and believe about heaven and hell, it could just be a mere shadow of the reality of that side of eternity. We don't have the exact pictures, the exact understanding. So it could be shadows. And so I boil it down to this concept that is shown here, and we'll talk more about it here in a moment, that there's this eternal separation from God. So what else do we learn about this place after both men die? Well, we learn there's no going between places. 
I don't know if you've, you've uh, gotten a detour, you, you had to go around when you're driving, um, or a bridge, you get to the end of the bridge and the bridge is out. You don't just keep going over the bridge, right? That's not allowed and it's not smart. But it's interesting. It, Abraham says there's this great chasm placed between them. It's as if Abraham, who in the story, it sounds very much like we're looking to him as God the Father. Uh, that's, you know, Jesus doesn't say God the Father. He says Abraham. But there was a lot of reverence for Abraham as the patriarch, as we've learned. And so it sounds as if Abraham, who, who is comforting Lazarus, and he's like, my hands are tied, rich guy. There's a chasm. I didn't do it. It just is there. My hands are tied. There's nothing I can do, I can do about it. There's no going between us to you or you to us. And then, of course, there's a role reversal, right? A role reversal. In life, the rich man had all the comforts of life. And, and then, of course, in the afterlife, he was eternally uncomfortable. <laughs> But in life, Lazarus was tortured and more than uncomfortable. But when he receives what he receives most, the only thing that we're told about his afterlife with Abraham is that he is comforted by him in that afterlife. That's all we're, that's the picture that we're painted. And so there's this role reversal going on here. Let's go over to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 in the sheep and the goats. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you see a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
It's a very picturesque story, isn't it? I like pictures that paint. I like stories that paint pictures for me. Helps my imagination grasp concepts that are way beyond me. But Jesus uses things that the people would know, the people would see, that you've probably seen as you've driven around or experienced farm life, if you have. Sheep, right? In this story, the sheep are on the good side, the goats are not. But we don't reveal that until after Jesus starts talking, the king starts talking. The sheep, they just cared for Jesus without knowing it. Did you catch that? They did this stuff, but then found out that it was good stuff that they were doing all along, and it was all for Jesus. It wasn't like they had a checklist of trying hard and getting into heaven and and getting into his side. It was a natural outpouring of him in them. Good works is a natural outpouring of God inside somebody. If you know that they've got a checklist and they're just trying hard, it'll come across in their attitude, by the way. They'll begrudgingly help somebody. They won't joyfully help somebody. On the flip side, the goats, they did not care for the least of these out of lack of Christ in them. They're surprised when the king tells them, hey, you're not, you're not going to the great place. You're not going to the good place. You thought you were, hence your surprise, but you're not. And here's why. You didn't have me in you. And you didn't do the things that would show that you had me in you. So there's this connection. A lot of times this is just, this scripture is used to guilt people into caring for and serving the poor. It is a great passage to show our, open our eyes to those who are needy and poor. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that God wants cheerful givers. He wants people who will care for the needy because they have an outpouring of Jesus within them, not because they feel guilted into it. Actions follow the heart. Action follows the heart. What controls and leads our hearts controls our actions or inactions. And I think another thing that this story teaches us is that there will be a final judgment of all. The story tells us that everybody at the end, when the Son of Man comes in glory, they separate all the nations will be gathered. Not just Israel, not just the Jews, all nations. And they'll be divided into two groups, the did and the did nots. Let's look at our third story from Luke 13, 22 through 30. Luke 13, 22 through 30, it's the narrow door. Jesus is out teaching and it starts like this. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. 
Then you will say, well, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are the, those who are last. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. The narrow door. The narrow door. We've got something here. It's emphasized in the last one, but final judgment is final. Final judgment is final. There's no do-overs. And in this teaching, we've got lots of people who are trying to squeeze their way in, but only a few make it, Jesus tells us. When I, I don't know if you've, uh, you've ever seen something where people are trying to budge their way into the door. I try to teach my girls and try to teach other kids and people that I've met. Open the door for somebody else. Let them through. Don't budge your way through. When I was in college, I heard this news story that happened. It was a tragic thing. Going to, going to college in the Chicagoland area, you hear some tragic stuff. But there was a nightclub in Chicago back then. It feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it was. Um, in which somebody had... Um, somebody, there was some sort of fire that broke out in this nightclub. And... In the middle of the nightclub, or in the nightclub to escape the fire, everybody tries to rush through the exit door. People didn't die because of the fire. They were crushed in that doorway on top of, underneath other people. That's how the majority of the people died in that, in that particular situation. I picture people trying to squeeze through, trying to get through that narrow door. And, and Jesus says, try all that you can make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try and not be able to. Um, I think we see and we meet people who are trying, don't you? They might not know the right way, but they know that there's something next or they believe it or they feel it or they want to believe um, and they're, they're trying how can we help them try in the right direction? How can we help them to get through that narrow door? We'll get to that here in a moment. But I, another thing that comes, came up to me as I was reading through this passage is the idea of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, you want to hear a group of people who are, who are in? Here they are. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets. But guess what? You're going to be surprised when you're not on the guest list and you're tossed out. And the last thing I want to point out from this passage that I think is very interesting, and it was hinted again at the last one, is that there's a, there's a big feast with people from all over the world. From all over the world. That's encouraging. Because really what this is, is Jesus forecasting or foretelling the Great Commission's fulfillment. We are a part of that, aren't we? If it stopped with just the Jewish converts and maybe a few Gentiles in, in the Greek area and never spread to the rest of the world, 
Christianity. How on earth could this be fulfilled? And so Jesus is saying, people from all over the world will be at this great feast. It's amazing, it's astonishing, it's awesome. We choose, hear this, we choose our eternal destination by the choices that we make here on earth. And no, I'm not talking about doing good, nice stuff in order to get into God's good graces on his nice list and not the naughty list, if you want to put it that way. There are not enough beached whales that you can push back into the ocean, enough poor people that you can personally sponsor with your finances. There's not enough good deeds to secure your ticket to heaven. It's a free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. Question is, do you want to be with him forever or apart from him forever? Coming to a close this morning, I want to share just some very important points I think we need to make sure are clear the very faith basics of heaven and hell. Hell is for real. It is a real place. It may seem metaphorical, and many times familiar imagery is used in Scripture to help us grasp the unfathomable. Um, I, don't, I don't blame, um, of course now I can't think of his name, but uh, Dante. I can't blame Dante and, and his epic story of Dante's Inferno. I'm probably saying it's wrong, but anyway, the Inferno, that imagery of seven layers of hell. He's using his imagination to storytell. It later became theology, but that's another story. But I I can't blame and throw him under the bus because I can't fathom how terrible hell must be. And that's why I had to boil it down to eternal separation from God. Nothing is worse. It's a place of everlasting torment and death. It's a very real and potential destination for all of us. We choose hell by our rejection of Jesus as Lord in our life right now. I heard this very interesting thing. If we decide we don't want him here, he won't be here in eternity. If we decide here in our life right now, Jesus, I don't want you as Lord, maybe later, He's going to say, you're going to get that. You're going to get your way in eternity. But if instead we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life right now, he will be in eternity as well. We choose heaven by the opposite. We choose him by by accepting Jesus as our Lord of our life right now. We've got to live each day with him as Lord. Think about it. Our bodies are not our own, our time, our money, our resources. Heaven is not just the absence. Here's another thing. Heaven is not just the absence of torture or pain. Sure, you've got some of that happening, right? Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Yes, it will be that, but it's not just the absence of torture and pain. It is the very presence of the living God. Revelation 21, 10 through 27. Buckle up. This is a long one, but I think it's a good one. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like 
a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height were equal. He also measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the, tw- the tenth uh, chrysoprase, uh, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the, twelfth, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will be will never be shut by day and there will be no night there they will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life what a very detailed, yet like it seems like John is seeing what he's seeing, but he's not sure what he's seeing, so he's trying to describe it in the best way humanly possible. And still it probably falls far short than what he saw, and far short <clears throat> of heaven. Hell is for real. Heaven is for real. What we do on this earth for our own eternal destination matters. I want us to think about that in regards to the people around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors. Those three categories this week, I want you to pray for their salvation. I want you to ask God for the specific words if you don't have them on how to pray for that person next door, that relative that may or may not know Jesus, that may or may not have Christ in their life so that the actions of their hands in their life actually reflect somebody who cares for those who are needy. I want us to think about this this week. Pray 
ask and seek God's favor and face so that all might come to know salvation in Jesus Christ, that all may be at that feast together. We don't want to miss it. And surely we don't want our neighbors and our family and friends to miss it as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray again for our neighborhood. This little slice of Viroqua that we have here, these blocks, I don't know them all as well as I want to and as well as I should, but you do. Grow my heart with compassion for them, Lord. I pray for each of us that we would take this commission seriously. We believe in you and what you can do through the power of prayer. People being completely laid before you and saying, Jesus, I can't do this. You have to do this. Move in these folks' hearts and lives. Bring them to a point where they choose you. And I pray, even though this skit at the beginning was a silly one, so many people have been turned off to the plan of salvation because we've offered, are you going to hell or are you going to heaven? And we've given the fiery imagery, very important and true. But what is hell? Nothing more and nothing less than eternal separation from God. It is, it is more, Lord, but that is the top. But we want eternal presence with you. We want to be with you in heaven. We want that for our friends and our neighbors and our families. So I pray that our prayer life and our daily life would be guided with that notion. Help us to obey every word that you say this week so that we might lead others into a saving relationship with you, Jesus. Their fresh start. We thank you in your name. Amen.